Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you are listening to the Singapore Noodles Podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, today's episode is quite different because we gathered the six contributors of the first issue of Seasonings for a roundtable session. So the theme of the issue was Hari Raya Puasa and there were some sensitive topics that we did not cover in the magazine. For example, the pressures of conforming to the expected mould of being Muslim or what misconceptions people might have of Hari Raya food. So it was a really honest and open conversation with all six members of the contributing team and I really hope that you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed the roundtable. Hi everyone! Thank you so much for joining us uh, this lovely Saturday. I am Hafi from Seasonings Magazine, a collaboration between uh, myself and Pam, who runs Singapore Noodles. Uh, Seasoning is a magazine that provides an insider's view into Singapore's festival and festive food. So in every issue, we hope to highlight the beauty and cultural richness of one season in Singapore. And we hope to show that you don't have to belong to a certain racial or religious group to appreciate a festival because we have more in common than we think. Um, so in this current social climate, it's important for us to have more safe spaces to talk about sensitive issues such as race and religion. So that is why we are discussing certain topics that we did not manage to include in our first issue. So we hope that all of us would be respectful and open-minded when listening to the perspective of others. So today we have on the panel our lovely contributors. Panelists can introduce yourselves. Uh, hi, I'm Noor. I'm, uh, I think you guys might have might or might have not recognized me on TV. Um, I'm a full-time magic maker, uh, a full-time housefly. Uh, I'm a mama bird to two beautiful kids and uh, a loving wife to my husband who's also a graphic designer and illustrator. I'm also a food nerd so most of my posts on Instagram is about food. Okay, so hi, I'm Hyrule. I'm uh, 33. I'm of uh, Javanese descent. Uh, I actually graduated from culinary school some years ago and I've worked in a number of uh, commercial kitchens uh, and on a personal level, I'm currently trying to document recipes that I grew up with uh, in an attempt to not lose any of them. In my free time, I enjoy immersing myself in uh, things like food literature and food media. And um, yeah, I guess that's uh, quite a brief introduction about myself. Hi, I'm Delphina. I'm um, editor at Time Out Singapore. So um, I usually write about things to do and um, restaurants to go and hiking stuff so yeah which you can find on my instagram as well um i am also like like not a food nerd so i'm i don't call i don't i wouldn't say that i'm a chef or anything but like i've always been interested about stories behind food and things like that so i think like this i i think like seasonings is like on the right track when it comes to things like that Okay, so quick one. My name is Tahira. I run a, a small home cooking experience with my mom uh, where we teach people how to cook Indian Muslim food that you may or may not find in hawker centers and restaurants. Um, and we use it really as a way to talk to people about our lives and maybe things they may not have known about previously. And because my mom is 58 this year and I'm 29, we have, you know, a dec two decades of lived experiences that are different and that's really what this session is about. So yeah, 
Hi, everybody. Hey, my name is Fidaos. I identify myself as a fourth generation Orang Laut. Uh, I kickstarted Orang Laut SG sometime last year. Um, it is a page to talk about you know, my family heritage, where we were from, which is Pulau Smakau, and basically highlighting the different livelihoods that we had, um, our culture, our beliefs, um, what made us an Orang Laut. And also, I use food as a vehicle to talk about our stories, to share our stories. And I think a big part of it is also featuring my family members, which are my mom, my aunt, and you know, there are little nuggets of information that I can just get well while they're cooking over the weekends. Um, apart from sharing stories, we also have a weekend business, a home-based one, to just you know share snippets of what we love to eat um, as an orang laut. Right. So hi, hi. My name is Asfa. Uh, so a bit about me. Um, I've always, always uh, been intrigued, and I've always, always want to discover more um, regarding Nusantara uh, cuisine, uh, regarding the uh, cultures, uh, the culinary uh, heritage of the Nusantara, or rather the Malay world. All right, so Malaysia, Indonesia, Brunei, so Thailand, uh, and parts of Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, so a bit of my about my background is um, I did my bachelor's um, at the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America um, in Singapore. And I've also worked in uh, restaurants in NYC as well. And uh, I'm back here. Uh, haven't been, I haven't been very active in commercial kitchens, but I still work in the restaurant industry. And uh, right here and there, I still try to um, Follow up, follow up on my uh, research wherever I can in terms of um, uh, finding more about Nusantara um, culinary heritage and also trying to share as much as possible about uh, my family's culinary heritage. Um, so yeah. Great. Okay, so quickly um, um, share how the day's proceedings will go. So I'm Pamelia. I, I am the editor for Seasonings and I'll be your moderator for this session. So we're very excited um, to hear perspectives on issues that might seem a bit sensitive or not generally talked about in Singaporean society. So um, after the five questions are addressed, we will have a session of Q&A where we'll take um, some questions from the audience. So we'll start with the first question. So given that there is a large religious component to Hari Raya Puasa, what are some pressures that one might feel or face while trying to adhere to the expected mold of being Muslim? Right, so growing up in growing up in a Malay Muslim family and also identifying myself as um, a queer individual or someone who doesn't conform to um, that Malay Muslim boy stereotype i feel i mean it's not only just for hariraya but also for family events where you know i always feel the need that you know i have to act a different way um uh, in front of uh, whenever i'm in front of family um so i think that's that's always have been like you know quite the pressure for me growing up uh i mean but now you know i just play along with it but you know it's it's just fine but but uh, because uh, I don't conform to that, you know, that Malay boy sort of like expectation, you know, um, I feel like I do feel left out, you know, whenever I'm with family, you know. Um, so the boys will always, you know, 
few of the very boy things, you know, like uh, watching, um, coming together to watch soccer during Hari Raya or like, you know, you know play carom and then, and, and those things don't really interest me. And I think, you know, I think, I think the good, good side of it is that uh, because I'm not with the boys, I'm, I always end up in the kitchen. Uh, with the aunties, uh, with uh, my my grandmother, uh, cooking up stuff or talking about um, or trying to listen to uh, interesting stories from uh, back then when they were in the kampung. Um, so yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I I feel like you know I'm privileged in a certain way, uh, but I've uh, I've heard, but I know a few friends who are from the uh, trans community who also come from uh, Malay families, you know, uh, people in trans community, you know, certain, uh, I, I know of um, some friends who are, who are, you know, ex-Muslim who don't practice um, Islam anymore and having to um, still live within the confines of um, the Malay Muslim expectation of in, uh, within Malay Muslim families. And I can imagine, I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it would be um, for them to go, you know, to go through, um, uh, you know, conflicts, you know, with family and sort of like, you know, in some cases having to hide uh, their own identity from their families. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe let's start with Tahira. Do you have anything to add? from your own experiences? This year was a real big life-changing moment in my family because my brother brought home his girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, who is not Indian Muslim, which is almost unheard of in my community. I can count with less than one hand how many people have done that. So it was really shocking <laughs> to see how my parents kind of like tried to... She came very close to Ramadan, but I think the interesting thing is that the I feel maybe... Um, I can't speak for my mom who's not here yet, but I feel like because she's not Singaporean and she's from another country, they kind of gave her quite a bit of leeway to try the practices and the rituals in part. So like she didn't fast the full fast, she fasted half the fast. And um, she to give it to her, she's such a lovely person. She was so helpful. During each breakfast, she would cut all the fruits, she would help in the kitchen, wash the dishes. Like I think that level of putting yourself into another person's culture, even if you have no clue. I mean, first of all, she's Korean. She's never been to Singapore and she doesn't speak Tamil nor Arabic. So she has so much differences, but she really just did what she could, which was to help in the way she knew and how she learned back in her country. And that really, I think, soothed my parents' um, you know, discomfort with her differences. So eventually she broke fast with us like once in a while and I was amazed to see how my parents did it because my partner is not Muslim and my parents have never invited him over. So my sister and I call it the groundbreaking year and I think it's going to be, it's going to get better from here lah, if, if we see it take on this route. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, Delfina, anything to add? From my family, I think me and my sister mostly because um, we're not like super religious or anything, but my grandparents are. So I think it really is also about respect. Like, you know, you don't, we sometimes, I think growing up in Indonesia, we we had quite a playful like Ramadan. I think there were like times where we would go in a room and sneak snacks and things like that, right? Like, um, or like hide snacks in our pockets and then <laughs> go somewhere and eat. But 
I think as we grew older, we saw like respect um why people practice it things like that I'm, I'm pretty sure like a lot of us as kids had a lot of all these tricks where we just like no why do we even fast but i think as we grew older we kind of understood um the customs more and all that so now it's really about respect and i'm sure like my cousins now not all of them are like you know super religious as well so it's really when we come together it's just that, that, that this unspoken thing where when it's time for breaking fast it's like you know, we all just do it together and respect the grandparents and their elders and things like that. Yeah, wow. Um, how about Noel? A bit emotional at the moment. I think as a teenager, I was not drawn to the super rigid rules of uh, Islam. You know, it's like when you're growing up, um, it's like ingrained in you from young that sense of divine intervention and the practice of Islam to the best of my ability. Um, so I, uh, I feel like the spirituality and the overall values of our religion have resonated with me as I grow older. So um, I just started actually donning the hijab in 2013 after a series of uh, life-threatening events. Mm. A lot of uh, things happened back then. <laughs> I almost lost my daughter mm. and my husband felt very sick. I almost lost him. And because of that, I suddenly hit me that I need to start mending my ways. However, I will not regard myself as a very staunch Muslim Muslimah. I still have imperfections, which I which is why I take Ramadan as a time for me to learn more about Islam every day. You know, as you go older, I learn to be more patient and tolerant, which is the most important thing in our religion. So one of the major things in Islam too is not to judge other people. If you still have friends who belongs to the whatever above mentioned technically, so during Ramadan they try their best to fast and pray only during Ramadan. But I don't, I don't, I don't say like you can't do that. You know, like oh, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna be friends with you. I, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I think I accept people as who they are. There's a reason why they choose to be who they want to be, and mm-hmm. the way they think is affected by their life experience, the childhood, and all that. So why? Mm-hmm. Than to understand them. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, Noor. Um, I think since Mama Z is here, I would love to hear her perspective because, um, I mean, you know, Mama Z is from a different generation <laughs> from us. So I think it would be great to hear your perspective on whether or not you have imposed any ex- expectations on your children, like Tahira, when she was growing up. I, I had, I, I did. But I think as I grew older, I realized that uh, you cannot win them over with force. Like Noor was saying, everybody will get a calling at a time, at a point in their life. Like, uh, so, yeah, so the most important thing is that I, okay, my both girls, um, okay, I would not say they are like practicing what we have in Islam, but I think it's okay. They will get their calling at the time when they see it. I, but I show what I, I can mm-hmm. and what a Muslim should do. Like as a Muslim, we, we do our prayers and we, we, are, we are kind, we are considerate, we are not judging. But sometimes it raises ugly head. I'm sorry <laughs> to say that, but I try and check myself. <laughs> Since I come from that age where, you know, like I see someone and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, okay, take a step back. Okay, I don't have to do this. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think basically we have to win them over with love and care. I think it goes for every religion for that matter. 
you cannot force it upon someone to embrace the religion they want to evangelize. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I can fully understand no. Okay. Um, I think we should move on to the second question, which is um, on the Hari Raya decorations that actually happen. So I'm sure a lot of us would know about this, but I think specifically, I would love to ask our contributors what exactly was so offensive about that incident or what, what were some um, misconceptions that people normally have of Hari Raya. So shall we start with Harriel? I think there's two major things that uh, people uh, took from this. Is One is that uh, the intellectual property rights by using the person's um, photo without the permission. And the second one is uh, just basically misinformed and like lazy research or lack of research. And it's like, I mean, we, we at the end of the day, we are human. We cannot be expected to know everything. And with that, if we don't know, we just ask. I mean, the... the if you're not sure of something, we ask. We ask not just any one or two percent. You ask as many people as possible so as not to often or like misrepresent something. Mm. I mean, right now we, we live in an age where we have like uh, information literally at our fingertips. I mean, we can like uh, simply like Google and like uh, just, just we, we ask, we research, we keep researching and even if we are uh, like afraid to ask or stuff like that we can just uh, read read books uh, just get ourselves keep ourselves informed make ourselves informed so as not to like yeah uh, offend and like misinterpret the whole thing yeah yeah uh, maybe let's go to fur i know that you are quite vocal about this issue on instagram and how um malays have been misrepresented um, if I were to be in Sarah's shoes, right, I would be as furious, I would be angry. You know, you cannot just take my photo and make it into like um, this caricature of sorts. And in a way, it's tokenism. Um, you know, you do not delve into, do not delve deep enough to actually do proper research on what kind of tie is appropriate. Um, also, I feel like I'm just making a blanket statement of how um, Malay Muslims in Singapore perceive, right? Just because it's green, just because we have, you know, some uh, floral patterns is Malay and, and that's it to it. Uh, but there's also subcategories to it. There's a lot of in-depth research that needs to be done. And it's we are more than just Ketupat, mm -hmm. more than just Bajukurong, right? Um, these are, I think, we are more than mere items. So, um, like what Afian has uh, posted on his, uh, I think, IG and Facebook, is a very dumbed-down version of, like, what is okay and what is not okay and i think it's also to educate the masses you know um but also um it, it also falls on us malays right to actually speak up for our culture and I'm, I'm very happy that sarah actually did i think for us also and for me as well like if let's say we look into our food that is being you know in a way uh, misconstrued do we speak up? Do we talk about it? Do we point out? And I think people have been doing it. For example, the Nonya Nasi Padang, which is, you know, very wrong in my point of view. Um, and I think someone uh, speaked up and and um, and I think it's rightly so that we, the time is now for us to claim our narrative, make sure that we are presenting what is right, the truth, and what define us as Malays. We are not caricatures. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree with you on that. You know, just now you mentioned how um, representations of Malay in the me media or Hari Raya Puasa has been reduced to things like the, the color green or, or Katupat. Um, how do you think 
um, it could have been done better? How do you think the decorations could have been more true to the spirit of, um, of the festival? And I open this to anyone. I think um, Althea did a wonderful post <laughs> about that, so I shouldn't go on um, anymore. But uh, yeah, anyone else who would like to share your thoughts, please feel free as well. Yeah, because in my opinion, from a Chinese person's perspective, like, you know, during Chinese New Year, we also have like caricatures, if you if you can <laughs> call it that way. I mean, we have like red, a lot of red, a lot of like pictures of ang paos and, and lion dance um, kind of motifs. But... Um, I wouldn't say that I feel offended as a, as a Chinese. So I think we can afford to uh, explore the nuances of what exactly makes it so offensive. Okay, okay. Oh, the festive lights are everything coming up in Geylang during Hari Raya. That's the fasting month. So they are Ramadan. talking about Ramadan. Yeah. So why do we only have to showcase one particular ethnic group? Mm. We can showcase different mm. ethnic groups. We can have like, uh, I don't know how the Chinese Muslims celebrate uh, Ramadan, like the Indian Muslim. I don't have Ketupat. I'm sorry, I would love to make it, but I don't know how to make it. We have, uh, we have Idiapam, Putumayam, and we have uh, Kurma, and we have Muruku, and we have, this is the staple, and Wajik, this is the staple of ours, if you're doing talk about food. Yeah. And then when you look at the clothes, uh, not many of us wear baju kurung. Most of us wear Punjabi suit or we wear sari. Or we sew our own clothes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but now, so like, uh, we can have a diverse display of things. Yeah. yeah. We can have the motifs of the flowers. That is fine. The color of green is also okay. We can have different colors. Yeah. Yeah. But I think maybe they can showcase more instead of just the kabaya and the the thing, the thing on that uh, you know the, the ornaments for the head and all that. I think maybe we can have more. Like we can have different, yeah. Just to, to add to that, right, Mummy? I, I think the concern from these parties who are organizing it is maybe space, you know, and then they're like, oh, if we show this, never show that, and then there'll be another issue about it. Okay, that, that's another thing. But I think more importantly, across all cultures, uh, ethnic groups right it's the values like I, I think we mentioned right the togetherness like Delfina mentioned like togetherness respect for our elders like I think regardless of what ethnic Muslim you are you will bend down salam your grandparents and parents and ask them for forgiveness and I don't see that portrayed and that's such an integral part of Hari Raya or Eid for that matter and I think patience also mentioned by Noor like I, I mean these are things that may not be able to be depicted in pictures but maybe videos or just things that suggest these values are more important than a standee. It's, mm. It doesn't have the same impact. So focusing on values would be better. Yeah, actually, that's a great point because before I started working on, on, on uh, Singapore noodles and on this magazine, I didn't know that that you know Malays in Singapore actually do the forgiveness kind of ritual because um, from my understanding of the festival up to that point it, it was like something that's a huge celebration so I didn't really comprehend like how poignant it can be for the Singaporean who is celebrating this festival I actually I feel that this is a fantastic lead into the next question because it's kind of intertwined right which is uh, about how we can allow for more representations of the non-Malay Muslim perspective on this festival um, and I think Mama Z did touch on a few things uh, what about uh, Delfina, because you know you you have uh, Indonesian heritage and background. What what aspects do you feel from your culture should be represented? I think it's it's for in, in Singapore it's much more colorful and festive. Where where else in Indonesia it was really about gathering with the family. So um, I think we 
didn't really like new clothes and all that wasn't a big thing. So um, yeah, so I think the difference is like there's that focus on the values bit for me. Like um, I think like yeah, like you see the the whole point of Hari for a lot of us is that forgiveness part and then for some people we dreaded it because you know we did so much so many wrong things and then probably have to like face our parents and stuff but um i think for 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 my family the main thing is just gathering together um we don't usually see our you know our, our families like every day some for some of us so that hope that one day is very important for us to kind of you know seek forgiveness um catch up with everybody and eat i guess it's like the main thing <laughs> yeah yeah okay um shall we look at the fourth question then um so this question is on the misconceptions of malay food so i think this is something that um you know a lot of us might be aware of like um, malay food is commonly depicted in the media along with indian food as being really greasy very um uh, unhealthy because of all the techniques involved like deep frying using a lot of oil to fry the rumpa I would love to hear if um, you have heard of any other misconceptions uh, to the audience members you can key it in the chat box and for our contributors you know are there any of these misconceptions that you would love to debunk so let's start with no yeah, I, keep, I keep hearing um, words like Malay food is oily all we do is we like we like to fry our fish. Uh, that is not true. We have um, I think my mom makes like uh, steam banana wrap in banana leaves or boto boto with a lot of herbs. I think that's that's the healthy part of the of my of my ethnicity. I mean the food that uh, is served. Um, also, we don't always eat a lot of uh, oily food or greasy food. We don't always fry our food. You know. Uh, my mom also steamed her fish, uh, and uh, we eat a lot of uh, what we call sayur bening. Mm -hmm. Like uh, it's a, it's a daily. It's like that's what she would normally cook every day, la. Like and she will make this. Uh, it's not asam pedas, but asam rebus. It's like a healthier, lighter version of uh, asam pedas. Mm. Yeah. Everything is boiled. Yeah, and then sayur bening of the her bening batik muda. Batik muda is actually young, young, young papaya with black pepper. So it's actually, everything is actually, for me, it's like quite light. La. Light, but at the same time, it's uh, delicious. So, and there's also other food, like apart from, people always talk about ayam masak mira, but I think I grew up eating daging masak mira. It's actually a banjari dish. It's, it's actually called masak habang. <clears throat> It's really nice, la, but I think I haven't thought seen it so at the stores in Singapore. So when I talk about it, people uh, should be quite, uh, feel a bit lost. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, uh, we also eat like uh, limping clapper, which is coconut pancake with uh, leftover sambal. Mm. I think that's for breakfast. I mean, I, I, I grew up eating that, but my husband doesn't. I think from where he come from, the the, I mean, from where you come from and how your parents or your mom actually cook for you, I think the palette is diverse. Mm. Mm. 
Great. Um, I would love to find out from Fadaos because I know that the Orang Lawut cuisine is quite, um, I mean, there are slight differences from what the typical Singaporean Malay would cook at home. So um, what what is your cuisine like? And would you say that it is um, uh, commonly perceived to be unhealthy by the media as well? Um, I think... The idea of just Malay cuisine as a whole, they would see it as, you know, unhealthy, fattening, slow oil. Uh, but I also understand that, you know, what like what Noah shared, um, there are many variations of Malay cuisine. And also the, what Orang Laut food is, uh, what I'm trying to define what Orang Laut food is, is more towards um, the kind of livelihood that we once had, right? So it's a reflection of um, how we used to or what we used to eat, what we used to do. And also we use a lot of seafood and vegetables that can be found on the island. Um, I think food like gulai nanas, uh, which is clear broth, um, clear prawn broth um, with pineapples and uh, some protein such as, you know, ikan kembung, ikan kuning, things like that. So something very simple, very hearty, and it is not greasy at all. Uh, it's all boiled, right? Um, but we focus a lot on the flavors of it, um, which can, can actually be found um, by a paste, chili paste, um, garlic, uh, onions, etc. So the misconceptions are a lot, I would say, um, and are also embedded in like so many, many years of, you know, um, media focus on what Malay food is, what they try to define what Malay food is, right? And also um, in Singapore, when you go to the Nasi Padang stall, it's always the usual suspects like, you know, rendang, etc. But um, also, I think um, the, 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 the everyday Malay uh, who, who cooks at home would look into food like Senggang, for example. So Lao Senggang is, um, I would say, a little bit more healthy as compared to other foods um, because we boil the fish, right? And then we focus on the flavors as well and use very simple ingredients like onions, etc. And um, it can be less space. So I think more and more of these such cuisines needs to be highlighted. Uh, amongst the Malay subcategories. Also, you know, that's what I'm trying to do as well, um, give focus on Malay cuisines that are a little bit underrated. Um, also, at the same time, try to use food as a vehicle to share how life was like on the island itself. Mm, fantastic. Maybe let's hear from Hafi. <laughs> Um, so I think when we were thinking of this question, Hafi said that some Singaporeans do have misconceptions of specific dishes. So could you share more with everyone about what these misconceptions are? Um, the first one would be the very famous like rendang dishes. So I feel like a lot of people think that rendang is such a simple dish to make. But after me and Pam did like, we searched for like seasonings and we found out like how difficult it is to make like rendang. I mean like before that, I've also seen like my grandma, you know, making rendang and like my brother trying to like make rendang for Hari Raya this year. And it was like so much work cause it takes hours and hours mm -hmm. storing over like, you know, like over the stove. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was just like a lot of work. And I think a lot of people think like, you know, oh, you can just like get rendang from nasi padang and why is it so expensive well you know the the auntie or like the nene it just has been cooking it for like many hours or, you know it's meant to cost that way so yeah and i think um a lot of food that Firdaus and noor um mentioned uh i've grew up like eating it like every day like and it's just like really comforting like home cooked food that it's normally not 
uh, really known because I think a lot of people just generalize uh, Malay food as being like, oh, nasi padang or like nasi ambeng. Yeah, they say that's what they know about it. But actually, if you dig a little deeper, there's a lot of like, it's not foods that we eat every day that it's like, you know, lauk sayur bayam and like uh, my childhood favorite, which is uh, sotong masa hitam. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Like I like to put uh the sotong like on my finger. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like like Amelie, you know the the film where she puts raspberries on her fingers. <laughs> That's similar, similar. I do that. <laughs> okay, oh my god. From um Tahira and Mamazi on the Indian Muslim perspective, do you feel that there are any main differences between the food that you eat on an everyday basis versus the food that you eat on festival occasions like during Hari Raya Pasa? Yeah, there's definitely a big difference. And we get this all the time when people come for our sessions because <laughs> they are like dying to eat Misiam Biryani and, you know, um, like sambal goreng and which was featured in the seasonings magazine which has like meat and tempeh and tofu and long beans and um and like a payasam and they think that this is how we eat every day but the truth is that yeah actually my family is the family that doesn't eat rice as in they are like so health conscious because my father had a really serious uh, sugar issue so my mom made him drink like bitter got juice every morning for a month and it, you know so anyway they're very health conscious and we actually don't eat rice unless it's sunday and we eat a lot of like roti based like whole wheat flour based things or tose which is rice flour, rice flour but otherwise the, i think the misconception is how little vegetables uh, non-Chinese people eat. I, I don't know why people have this, oh, people have this misconception. Like, they eat, think it's all like very hearty meat. and meat and everything. But actually, there's so many vegetables that they eat, like the ones mentioned by Noor and Ferdowas. And even for us, right, not just spinach. You know what I mean? Like, there are different kinds of spinach. Pasani kire, um, murunga kire. Like, kire is the, the name for spinach in Tamil. But there are so many prefixes to it and they have all their different kinds of users cooked with lentils which are really eaten on a daily basis i was forced to as a kid so yeah i, I think it's important to remember that what you see at the stall is not necessarily what people eat at, at home and if you go to the web market you see that reflection because of the variety of green vegetables there are mm. i feel that your response is like perfect segue into like the next question but i think before we move into that maybe we can get happy to play aspa's video because i think he has a pretty good response that resonated with me when i was working on seasonings well um uh, it just just puts me off when when you know when people say like oh my god like you know my family's recipe of rendang is actually you know the original one you know from like minangkabau and all that um well naturally because um, the Malay community, especially in Singapore and parts of Malaysia as well, is actually very plural and very diversified. You know, our Malay community, we're not a monolith. You know, we come from, our, our ancestors come from uh, many, many different parts of uh, the Nusantara region. For example, I'm of uh, Bawainese heritage. Uh, so uh, my ancestors come from Bawain Island in uh, Indonesia. Um, we have... Um, a huge Malay community who come from uh, what is a Malay community, Malay in its general sense, yeah, uh, who come from uh, parts of Java, who come from uh, parts of Borneo and Banjarmasin as well in 
people who are Bugis or Punakabao. So we have, so we sort of like share, especially in Singapore, we sort of like as much as you know, we're, we're called like the Malay community. We come from various, various backgrounds and that translates into um, the food uh, that we put on our tables, right? So I feel like, um, you know, things like, you know, your, your standard Haraya food, like rendang, sambal goreng, um, you know, everything, it's, they're, they're very, very malicious. And I suspect that, you know, coming to Singapore, a lot of these communities, um, sort of like adapted into the Malay culture and uh, started to, you know, possibly something like a sama goreng, you know, wasn't, uh, wasn't a part of the Bawani's, uh family staple uh, back then. But uh, coming to Singapore, uh, in the Malay community, people shared ideas of, uh, uh, in terms of, you know, cuisines and uh, their own culinary heritage. Uh, so evident. So um, evidently, um, because people come from you know different uh, different backgrounds, there will be different versions of the same. Oops. Yeah, I think that that is basically it. But I would love to hear from Harold, like what you think about that. Do you feel there is this expectation um, to cook the authentic rendang, like say for Hari Raya Puasa? What what's authentic to me and my family can be way different to, for example, Hafiz's uh, rendition of a certain dish to Delfina's uh, rendition of another dish. So this uh, whole thing about chasing and attaining authenticity is very it, that that's not the right uh, way we should approach things. I mean, we should celebrate the diversity, as I think uh, Asfa mentioned. I mean, like my family. I mean. It, even if you go to different different stalls in in and around Singapore hawker centers, I mean, there's a stall which may serve a dish which you like, but then the same stall may serve another dish which you don't like. But then you go to another stall, you there's the you know it's it's diverse. There there can it's it's sort of wrong to think that there's only one version and the 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 solitary version of a certain dish. Because as also I mentioned, also is we 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 come from a, a large. Uh, large uh, different different areas uh, in the Southeast Asian uh, region so yeah I mean this whole authenticity thing I, I don't really like the whole idea of it and uh, attempting to attain or just mentioning oh mine mine is what the, the the one and the only way to do it so I mean that that's that's not the right way lah, to approach it in my opinion Mm. But, you know, interestingly, when I was making Ayam Masak Merah, right, um, for Singapore noodles, I think I did a poll before that because I saw so many different variations. So I did a poll like, oh, does your family add curry leaves or no curry leaves? Add evaporated milk or no evaporated milk? And I think uh, what surprised me was that there was pretty much an even split. Like it was like 48% to 52%. And then someone um, messaged me and said, oh, if my, my grandmother found out that I put curry leaves in my... Uh, Ayam Masak Mera, she would be rolling around in her grave. You know, she would be like really upset. So what is your perspective on that? So let's hear from Delfina. Yeah, like I, I agree with Hyrule. Like there's no, like nobody should gatekeep how Rendang should be. And I, I mean, personally, I've tried so many different versions and I like them all. Like sometimes I want the, the more wet one and I want the dry one and like it's all great. Um, I also think like, that this whole misconception thing about Malay food being unhealthy also, I think stems from our own, our culture as well. Like cooking for us is like a ceremony. So 
when we cook, there's always that this communal element to it. When we cook, it's always to cook for someone or a group, that kind of thing. So when we do that, there's a lot of like effort and love, I would say, that goes into it. So, and maybe this translates to using like rich ingredients and all that. So, and like you say, we don't eat rendang every day. <laughs> we, we really don't eat rendang every day. So when we actually cook for people, it's always coming from a place of sharing and giving and love. Um, which translates that, which is why the food and the cuisine is so rich. And like, if you were to ask like some a normal Indonesian person what they eat every day, like I remember growing up, I used to eat rice and fried egg and ketchup every day. That was my favorite dish. <laughs> so I think everybody on this panel probably had that before. So yeah, so I think it's really like the background of where we're coming from. And I feel like in a way, media the media also portrayed like did not portray this properly. Like I think what we know of Malay cuisine is always the rich food, which is what we always serve when we want to impress or we want to, you know, eat together, that sort of thing. So I think we have a comment from Ash Ali who says that every cultural cuisine has unhealthy or healthy versions of food. Um, and the fact that Indian or Malay cuisines get a bad rap is really unfair. So I agree with that. You know, like uh, we always think of uh, Chinese cuisine as very, um, very light and very healthy, but actually, right, uh, I noticed that my grandmother-in-law, which is my husband's mom, she actually uses so much oil in, like, say, making glutinous rice, you know, or or even things like uh, making patang. There's so much oil, and traditionally, um, I feel that Chinese cooking has a lot of deep frying. It's just that in modern times, people have opted for like the air fryer, you know. But in the past, every time you like braise something, you had to deep fry it first to either set its shape or to change the texture. So let's go into the next question, which is our final question for this panel, which is um, the notion of plant-based food or the role that plant-based foods have in Malay cuisine and culture. So shall we hear from Noor? I mean, if you guys heard of nasi ulam, right? You know, I think that's one of the um, ways to actually incorporate a lot of uh, raw herbs, vegetables in your uh, food, in your diet. So like, uh, actually, because both of my parents, they're actually from a very, very old generation. My dad is born in 1925. I like that. So, uh, so the kind of food that he eat is very, very old school, and he's also very healthy, like uh, three, three years long. They, uh, he's he, when he passed on, he wasn't even suffering for any ailments, because he's like uh, what I call, he is like super healthy, super fit, and uh, every morning he actually drinks a lot of uh, warm water. So, and he will actually uh, advise me to practice that because it actually helps in your bowel system every morning yes. instead of drinking coffee and tea. Yeah, and we don't have cold water. I don't drink cold water even up till now. I was still oh. drink warm, warm water. So it's kind of funny when people come over my house like, no, I think we went to see. Do you have ice water? Oh, I'm so sorry. I have to go and make ice now. <laughs> I'm so used to drinking water. So even now my husband actually uh, adapts my kind of uh, diet. And we actually eat a lot of uh, blum, a lot of uh, herbs. I mean, it's, and it's actually much cheaper than those European seasonal vegetables. Mm. We need to get it from. No, when you say you eat a lot of ulam, what kind of um, ulam do you mean? What kind of vegetables? Could you name us some examples? It, it's uh, the wing beans. I think my mom likes to buy a lot of wing beans. And she also, uh, what else? Uh, those 
Ulam Raja? Yeah, Ulam Raja, yeah. I think my mom likes to shop for it that I think at Gila Market. I used to follow her. So she always have a particular herb that she have to eat every other day. She says for health reason. So a lot of this pucuk, pucuk, paku, pucuk, we, you know, that. Yeah. And she so would just like blanch it and then just eat with the fries. Urap is another dish that is eating like yeah. ulam, right? Yeah. I think Earl would yeah. have something to say about that. <laughs> Traditionally, in the past, before um, the whole, I mean, everybody was more affluent and stuff, we were more like uh, foragers. We had a lot of salad herbs, uh, raw, uh, like, as mentioned, all the uh, ulam raja, all the pucuk, paku, pucuk, this and that, everything. So it's like, um, I think there's been a decline in the consumption and availability of such um, raw salad herbs and leaves, even in markets today. I mean, because we are highly dependent on uh, imports from overseas. So, I mean, even if I want to, I mean, I'm sort of limited to um, the availability of what's at the market, right? So, I mean... And furthermore, like I said, we're more affluent, we have more spending power, purchasing power. And it's like, I think the, 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 the popularity of uh, consuming uh, ulam, all these uh, traditional salad herbs and leaves has been waning. Uh. I mean, it, it's not extinct, it's there, but it's just not as popular as it once was. Fur, mm. uh, maybe you would like to add maybe your, your impression of why these ulam or vegetables have been fading from the Malay culture and cuisine in this modern day and age? I think I agree on some of the points that was made. Um, definitely because we are more affluent, um, we are exposed to like, you know, platforms such as Grab. Everything is so convenient now. So do you want to buy something, you know, to go to the market and create an ulam or do you want to just get something quick? So most of us today would, you know, get something really quick, right? But uh, on that note also, I feel that um, in Malay cuisine, um, this kind of normality, uh, this kind of cuisine is not a, a normality now as well. Um, because if you go to places like uh, Hajar Mamuna, for example, uh, I'm not sure whether they sell ulam. I can't vouch for that. But I think at the same time, I feel that um, some of these food are still being consumed, but not by younger Malays. Uh, this is just my observation. But it's more of like, you know, people of my parents' age, um, they love ulams. And also foraging was a big thing then, right? They focus a lot on foraging, especially um, on the island itself. They, they look into what they can eat as ulam and they like the sourness to it. And these are all available uh, to them. People who live in Singapore, in the kampongs as well, they use the forage a lot as well. And I think in Singapore, the cuisine has adapted so much and um, Malay cuisine has become into like, you know, these little staples like mie rebos, mie soto, etc. Um, that's my perception of uh, ulam. Great, thank you. Um, I think Asfa also has recorded something on the topic because he recently filmed um, something for CNA, I think. I think I'd like to refer back to an interview that I recently did uh, with uh, Channel News Asia. Um, so I was cooking uh, a dish called Oponanka. Uh, it is a recipe passed down uh, by my grandmother. Uh, and part of the interview was me trying to um, trying to advocate that um, Malay dishes is actually uh, Malay food is actually plant based. The diet of um, the Malay people, the people of Nusantara, is actually very plant based. Um, but traditionally, of course. Um, and if you if can, can see, if you can notice um, the habits of people back then, back then in village communities all around Southeast Asia, or even rather 
um, even now, you know, if, if you go to Indonesia and you go to yeah, third world countries uh, around Southeast Asia, and if you can see the communities, you know, living in uh, in uh, the rural parts of the country, villages and all that, um, meat is not a very uh, meat is a very expensive commodity, um, and a lot of uh, the diets of these people. Um, are made up of uh, a lot of vegetables, a lot of seafood, a lot of uh, river fish, you know, depending uh, on the geographical location. And also, Haraya, traditionally Haraya, Adil Fitri and Haraya Adil Adha, you know, used to be um, a few of the only times in a year where um, many people used to, many people could uh, have meat, you know, where the kampong can, you know, come together and then slaughter a few chickens or a cow or goat or whatever and then enjoy the meat for a celebration right so there is this um so part of the interview is Misha's trying to challenge that narrative or that misconception that uh, malay food is actually uh, heavy or unhealthy and um and you know very greasy and very meat based and all that like of course you know, like you know now when we go to like a nasi champo store like you know around the island like you know They'll be selling like things like you know masak merah and you know rendang and things like that um i mean it's just because that you know we can easily afford it nowadays right and those kind of dishes are uh obviously you know just very accessible you know out of um out of high raya you know but it, it it was not the case you know so traditionally malay food is actually was actually very very much plant-based you know uh on an everyday diet, you know, people used to eat things like, uh, you know, ulam, your raw vegetables, um, you know, uh, a diet of uh, fish and seafood and all that. Um, but of course, you know, with uh, with the growing affluence that we have, um, and also with uh, capitalism, you know, people, uh, Malay peoples, you know, they have, they have left the, uh, the life of being in the kampong of, um, being uh, active in the fields and being active in their everyday work, and then leading now and now leading sedentary lifestyles. I mean, it's not it's not just a Malay problem per se. It is a, a modern problem that we face. But uh, yeah, just to dispel the myth that Malay food is unhealthy and uh, it's very meat based. I mean, it is it is true for um, in terms of festivals. Yes, you know when we're celebrating, but traditionally um, that was not the case. I think we've just got a comment from someone. Um, so Noor says, I love that Delfina brought up the, the, the idea of communal rituals and gestures. How can we foster kindred through food, through screen and virtual spaces? So, I mean, with COVID, I'm sure a lot of us have felt that Hari Raya Pasa has changed, you know? So how can we retain its spirit? Um, Delfina, you want to answer that question? I think in a way we saw like, going back to how it was done last time like you know i think in indonesia there was a lot of there was this practice where we just send each other food a lot so like no reason no no um celebration or anything just like do i cook extra i'm gonna send to somebody i i love or somebody i care for so in in singapore that's what we did the past 
year, I think last year especially when we really couldn't visit, my my aunt sent me like a lot of food and my my mother-in-law sent me um Haraya food and then we would just like meet on Zoom to eat together. So in a way we're still like there and like sharing the same things and um talking and stuff. It was I think in a way it was even more chaotic than meeting in real life because you know how like a Zoom chat you can put in like more than 10 people so most of the time me and my husband was just like laughing and eating because the aunties would just go crazy or something like that so it's really very much like real life when we would be in the corner of the room just observing and laughing yeah the same thing can I also ask how the ritual can be done through zoom like the forgiveness ritual um I guess that one would be more because since it's a more like a private nature thing I think what we did last year was like we actually called personally to like pass the phone to my grandmother because it's, it's really between both of you it's not something you should be doing on zoom and like shouting like hey please forgive me for doing this <laughs> yeah <laughs> so okay. yeah that's how we did it mm. we have another question i think this is for tahira and mama z so um could you expand on the diversity of indian muslim food and how does it vary from what you would get in india Subhash Kumar, you can come to our spicy kitchen for more of this. In, in brief, I think the the main difference is that uh-huh, the main difference is that we use a lot of uh, Southeast Asian ingredients. Definitely learned from like my grandparents' Malay neighbors, like sarai lemongrass, uh, lime beef, uh, pandan tofu. I tell this joke to many people, but you guys hear it now first time from me, that when my grandma's sisters came to Singapore and left back to India, they brought Clorox to clean the toilet and pandan because they were mind blown by these two things. So yeah, pandan is something they didn't use in their cooking. So this is something we use a lot and tofu as well. Tempeh, all that. Those are not things you eat in India. So I would say that the curry that we cook, Indian Muslim food in Singapore is, is localized by what we learned. From and also by the environment, and also by the environment, like the use of noodles, right? Oh my, that was definitely something we learned from either Chinese or, or Malay people. Like not just here, noodle, but because misiam biryani is not a rice dish; it's made with bihun, right? Vermicelli noodles. Mm-hmm. So, this is something that we learned from the people who were living around it, us, and what was available. Mm-hmm. So, another yeah. version of the nasi lemak. I mean, a, a variation. So, palmisiam is like vermicelli noodles cooked with coconut milk but then there is like mustard seeds and curry leaf and shallots and sarai in it so it's not the same as nasi lemak but the idea of taking sambal and putting it with coconut noodles is there so this is basically the adaptation that we have and yeah you're welcome to come visit us in after 21st or something Okay, so I think it's uh, 12 p.m. in Singapore right now, and I feel that, you know, we've got like a pretty good discussion. So I just want to thank everyone for being a part of this. Thanks for asking great questions as well. And thanks to our contributors, um, Harold, Delfina, Noor, Fadawas, um, Tahira and Mama Z for joining us today, and Asfa as well, who took the time to film his responses. So our next... Um, um, issue is actually going to be on Hungry Ghost Festival and um, yep so we, we officially wrapped up the first issue of Seasonings. Thanks everyone. Bye! Bye Thank you everyone. So that wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. I hope that you enjoyed listening to the varied perspectives of our contributors. And if you are intrigued and would like to buy a copy of the magazine, then go to the shop section of sgpnoodles.com. So thank you again for listening to the podcast and I'll catch you all next week.